So we have been reading together through the New Testament, this book right here. And you read through, for the first week, you read through the book of Luke. And then last week, you read through Acts and First and Second Thessalonians. And this week, you should have read through First and Second Corinthians and then through chapter 7 of Romans. And what we've been talking about is how the world's a mess. And the first week we talked about how Jesus comes and he calls us out of our mess, like he did Levi, Matthew, the tax collector, to come and to follow him. And the, the prerequisite of being a follower of Jesus is that you have to be an utter wreck. You have to be a complete mess. And you have to be an utter sinner. And that's the amazing, gracious part of our Heavenly Father. And then last week we talked about how it is that we are to approach and live out in the world as messy people clothed with the Holy Spirit. And we're going to dig down deeper now uh, this week talking about the Spirit's work then through us as we clothe ourselves with the Holy Spirit. But just to remind you and kind of catch you up, if, if it is your first time here, you missed the previous two talks. We've been talking about this idea that, that I know a mess. I know what a mess looks like when I see a mess because I truly am a mess. So I know what messes look like in other people's lives. I know what it, I know what it appears to be in the lives of other people when they're very messy and, and that mess gets on me and it sort of messes up my life only because... I myself am a mess, and I think, you know, as we walk in our spiritual journey, these two things start to separate for us, and we begin to forget that we were once, and still are, a complete mess. And so we can become judgmental and dismissive of other people and their messes. But we have to be reminded, we have to be reminded that I know a mess, I recognize it when I see it because I really am one myself. And so we talked about how Jesus was going to clean up this mess and then we looked last week at the book of Acts and how um, the Holy Spirit sent people out like Paul and Luke and Timothy out into the world to begin to establish and to carry forward Jesus' mission to clean up the world through the life of the church. And so we're going to talk about that now as the churches are established, as we read in 1st, 2nd Thessalonians, the church in Thessalonica. This week we read about 1st and 2nd Corinthians, or the church in Corinth, and in Rome. And so Paul writes these letters to these churches that have been established. And as he goes around starting other churches, he writes these letters to these churches to talk about what's going on in the life of those churches. But before we jump into that, I just want to remind us for a moment, and maybe this is new for the first time for some of us, that Jesus didn't establish a place, he established a people. 
And, and so the problem is in, in the way that we understand church is we think that Jesus sort of birthed this thing and all of a sudden these buildings went up with this chapel style with a cross at the top all around Rome. And that's not what happened at all. When people went out like Paul and these missionaries to start these different churches, they began in homes. They just met around the coffee table. And they sat and they discussed and they talked about and they inspired and encouraged each other. And they sang together. And, and they invited people to come into this fellowship and to be part of it and to understand that Jesus came and he died and he rose from the dead and that this was a dead fact for them. So Jesus didn't, he didn't in the book of Luke and, he, and, and certainly didn't through the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts, he didn't establish a place. He established a people. And so what happens is, because of the way we do church today in the 21st century, is we lose sight of the fact that the church is really every single person that's sitting in here and those all across the mountain and elsewhere who believe and have faith and put their hope in who Jesus is. And so you'll hear things, won't you? Like, we'll talk about just the building as being a church. Or you say, well, are you going to run down to the church? Right? And I have to be very careful of this, too. Well, I went down to the church. Like, the building is what Jesus established. Or you might say something like this. Did you go to church today? As if it's a place. We refer to it as a place. And that's, that is absolutely outside of the mind of Jesus and outside of the mind of who we are to be as people. And so the problem is, is that then you'll hear things like this. I like that church, but I don't like that church. As if, again, it's a place. Well, you don't understand the way that church is and the way that it acts. As if, again, it's a place. The church is a group of people. It's you and it's me. And if we lose sight of that, then we absolutely lose the message that Paul is attempting to bring to us in these letters. We lose it because that's who they were in the first century. And so quite often we'll say things like, you know, the, the church, if that church would just get involved in this or that, or why doesn't this church seem to care about this community? As if, again, it's a place, or it's a collective, or it's, it's some sort of personality. The, the church is you and it's me. That's who the church is. In fact, here's what Jesus said in John chapter 13, verse 35. He said this, By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, you are my church, you are my followers, you are my learners, if you hold services weekly at 2286 Cedar Lane and gather at 1015 and have some worship and some teaching. No. He says, you, they will know, the world will know you are my disciples, or you're my followers, you're my church, if you love one another. And so he leaves them this sort of final kind of command, right? That you're to love one another. And, and here's the problem. When we think of the church as a location or a personality or a collective of people or an institution, we forget that our role in following Jesus is actually to love one another. And so what happens is we get mad at that church and we leave that church, as if again it's a place to be left, when in reality, if we are followers of Jesus, we are in the church, and as long as you follow Jesus, you can't leave the church. And so the problem is, is we tend to then uh, sort of look at these collectives of people called churches, and we make judgments about them. And sometimes the worst people that make judgments about churches are the people who belong to the churches. As if it's an entity over there rather than right here and it's us. And so here's, here's the key to this. Here's the key to this. Chapel 
we've been okay to not so great at this in our history. This is true. We've been okay to not so great at this. And, and I think we just need to confess that collectively. That, that our differences within this place, differences of personality, of perspective, of idea, of theological orientation, of understanding how communication works or how we endure conflict together, all of it has somehow become between us rather than the idea of loving one another through it. And the reason is, is because we think of this as a place and not a people. We think of this as a family that's to be cut off rather than, than to be participated in and to love each other through the disagreements. And so what we do is we leave, as if you could ever leave the church. Fascinating, isn't it, the way we think about church life and our life together? I think it's fascinating, at least. And so here's this next point I want to bring up to you. That is the priority, then, of the early church. And this may be a surprise to you, but the priority of the early church was actually one anothering one another. Now, I made up this word. Don't email me. It's not a real word. I know that. But it's so cool to say. The priority of the early church was to one another, one another. And, and so you might, it might be confusing or surprising to you because you might actually think the priority of the early church was to share who Jesus is out in the world. But that wasn't actually the priority of the church because they knew what Jesus taught in John chapter 13, verse 35. He said, go into all the world and make disciples in Matthew 28, right? Well, how does that look? How do you do go about that? What's the mission plan then? It's John chapter 13, verse 35. They will know you are my disciples when you love one another. And when you don't love one another, they won't know. And so the priority of the church was we have to love one another. We have to serve one another. We have to encourage one another. We have to walk with one another. We have to be with one another in unity so that they may know. Because here's the truth of it. Our preaching, our teaching, our sharing, our going out and evangelizing, whatever it is you want to call how we share or spread our faith, is absolutely impotent when it is grounded in a group of people who do not love one another. It's pointless. It has no power. It's just a club. Because I can go join a club, get mad at it, and leave. That's nothing new to our world. I can go join a place of business and be an employee, get mad, and leave. I can go join an HOA and I can get mad and leave. I can go join a gym and be upset and leave. I can be part of a neighborhood and not get along with my neighbors and put my house up for sale and I can leave. So when I can go to church, get mad and leave, there's no difference. So how will this world know that this group of people is different than all those groups of people? John chapter 13, verse 35, by how you love one another. And so the priority of the early church was actually to get this right. And so I would invite us, chapel, I would invite us, big invitation, to really consider what it looks like to one another, one another. And I'm not saying it's going to be easy, and I'm telling you right now, it's not going to be clean, because we are all a mess.
So, to one another, one another, will be an extremely messy proposition. The question is, do you have the fortitude to do it when all you want to do is run from it? Because what is at stake is not where you go to church. What's at stake is the world, world hearing about who Jesus is. Very, very important stuff. So, this last week you read a section of text. I'm just going to show you. I've pulled out for you just a few examples of the one another, one another's. And here it is out of 1 Corinthians 1.10. Agree with one another, Paul writes. Encourage one another. Restore one another. Care for one another. Serve one another. You read that out of Galatians 5, and that's what we're going to focus on actually today. But all of these are one another's. So, we are being invited in as a people of faith to live with one another despite our differences and our messes. And that when we get offended and we get hurt, which will happen, because when you get messy people around each other, that's going to happen. And when you get offended and you get hurt, are you willing to endure? Are you willing to come and care for the one who hurt you? Are you willing to agree with the one who hurt you? Are you willing to encourage the one who hurt you? If you have hurt someone, are you willing to encourage the one that you hurt? To restore, if you were the one that was hurting, to be restored, to care, to serve with one another. You see, that's the difference between this group of people and those groups of people is this one priority of one anothering one another. Here are some that are coming up in the weeks ahead as you read. Love one another. Accept one another. Bear with one another. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgive one another. What do you mean forgive? Yeah, forgive one another. This is how we're to live. So when somebody hurts me and they say something bad about me, I'm actually forgive them? Yeah! That's a good idea. But you don't know the story. This is what they do and what they said, and how, you don't know how much it hurt. I do know how much it hurt, hurts. I've, I've had lots of bad things said about me. That doesn't mean I'm supposed to not forgive one another. But it's easier to leave. Yes, it's easier to leave. But that's not what we're called to do. But it's easier for me to go to a different church because those people are better. Really? Uh, they're just as messy as this group of people. You're going to go find the perfect church full of non-messy people. When you find it, would you invite me, please? I will apply to work at that church. We are a mess. Every church up here is a mess. So we can run from mess to mess, pretending as if there isn't a mess and looking for a non-mess and acting as if we aren't a mess or we can agree with one another, <laughs> the past one, right? Agree with one another that we're all a mess. And we need each other. And we need to forgive each other. We need to endure with one another. Galatians chapter 5, Paul writes to the church in Galatia, and here's what's going on in First and Second Corinthians. There is internal conflict. So you read all about this. The church is having internal conflict. There's some things going on that are really controversial. Some guy is sleeping with his dad's mom, not his... Um, uh, natural biological mother, thank goodness, but um, he's sleeping with his, his stepmom. And so you can read, you didn't know that was in there, did you? 
you need to read your New Testament. Oh my goodness. There's some juicy stuff in there. It's like soap opera city. Seriously, just pull it open. But in, in, in the town of Corinth, this is what they were dealing with. And Paul's writing about it. So there was internal conflict about what to do with this situation. Okay? You know, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 gets quoted in weddings all the time. What is it about? Oh, that's interesting. Why would you need to talk to a group of people about love unless they need to learn to love one another? You ever thought about that? That church was struggling because of the mess. Galatians is a different letter written to a different church, a church in Galatia. And this church is suffering from external conflict that is inflicting internally. So a group of people are coming and they're teaching something that's contrary to what Paul taught them. And now they're fighting over that teaching about whether it's right or not and whether they should live it out or not. How, how it looks to really be a follower of Jesus. They're kind of judging each other in that. And here is what Paul says to that church, still inflicted with conflict within, but it's coming from outside and then pushed in. And here's what he writes. He says, you, my brothers and sisters, if we could back up, please. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. That's a good thing, right? Americans were called to be free. They're called to be free. Continuing. But do not use your freedom, he says, to indulge the flesh. Meaning, don't, don't look to your own needs and be selfish with this freedom. Rather, and he throws us this, this phrase again, serve one another. So you've been set free from any obligation to anybody. And because you've been set free, Paul says, then obligate yourself to other people. This doesn't make any sense, does it? This is what he says. Now you are able to willingly, freely... Give yourself to another person without it being an obligatory salvation issue. Now you can do it with the freedom of knowing that God loves you no matter what. Serve one another humbly in love. So quit fighting with each other and start serving one another, he writes. Moving on to the next verse. For the entire law, he says is fulfilled in keeping this one command, and he quotes Leviticus, and he quotes Jesus, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, notice he's not talking about the color of the carpet in the church or whether they do contemporary traditional music. Notice he's not talking about, you know, you have this flavor of whatever. He's just saying, look, you're a group of people, and you need to love each other. That the whole law, everything, is summed up here by love your neighbor as yourself. Moving on, he says, if you bite and devour each other, watch out. Or you will be destroyed by each other. The question for this church is, is it going to live out the life that Jesus would want for it? By loving each other, serving each other. Or is this church going to tear itself apart from the inside? Again, we're not talking about a place, a location, or a building. We're talking about a group of people. And so it leaves us with this question, and here's the question. Why is there conflict to begin with? Have you asked yourself that? Why is there conflict? Like, why don't we all just get along, right? Why is there conflict? Now, I'm going to skip verse 16, and I'm going to show you why, and we're going to jump into 17, and here's, here's why. So we're going to move from 15 to 17. For the flesh, because Paul answers this question, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit. So somehow, my, my body is at war within itself. What, what I really want, what Chris wants, is totally different than what Chris's spirit that is in connection with God and our Heavenly Father living with me and the Holy Spirit living in me. It's different. It's, it's contrary. 
and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. And he even says it better here in the next verse. He says this, they are in conflict with each other. So, so Chris is in conflict with this Holy Spirit that I'm supposed to dress myself in and live out. We're in absolute conflict with each other. What I want to do and what the Holy Spirit wants to do in me are two totally different things. So the conflict that I have with you isn't actually with you. Does that make sense? The conflict I have with you is a result of the conflict that is actually going on in me. I have conflict with the Holy Spirit, and that's why I have conflict with you. Is this making sense? Because there's a mess between the two of us because I'm a mess. <laughs> and there's a mess between the two of us because you're a mess, because you are in conflict with the Holy Spirit. And the two of us, individually, in a room, by ourselves, are in conflict already, and then you throw us together, and now we are in conflict with each other. And the problem is, we forget that the thing that holds us in common is the Holy Spirit. Our flesh is what actually separates us. And when we can come to that, when we can come to the conclusion that we are unified by our messes, we can be a whole lot more patient with each other, can't we? Paul says it another way in a different place. He says, for our conflict is not against flesh and blood, but against the darkness and the principalities of this world. Saying conflict isn't with each other. It's, it's with what's going on out there. And so here's the, the next question, that is this. What can we do about it? So what do we do about this? And here's what he says in verse 16 then that we skipped over. Here's what he says. So I say, walk by the Spirit. Hmm. So my flesh and the Holy Spirit are in conflict with one another. And so now I am to actually walk by the Spirit rather than walk by my flesh. So I'm supposed to have a different guiding light. I'm supposed to have some, some other uh, due north for my compass heading. Something that is supposed to come along and help me move in a different direction. And that is the Holy Spirit. So I say, walk by the Spirit instead of by the flesh, as he, as he implies. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And here's how this concludes. We behave out of our beliefs. Now, this is like no big insight. So, when I come into conflict with somebody around me in this place or at home or in my neighborhood or wherever, one, I need to recognize that I am going to behave out of what I believe. And so when I behave out of my flesh, guess what I believe? I believe that my flesh is right and the spirit is wrong. I believe that my feelings of rejection or hurt or anger or frustration are more valid than the calling of the Holy Spirit on my life to love my neighbor as myself and to forgive them. Do you see that? So, I will behave out of what I believe. But you don't, get the, you don't understand the story. You don't know what's happened. No, I don't understand what, hap what has happened and I don't understand the story. But what I can tell you is that you are conflict with yourself and that conflict you are having with other people, you will behave out of what you believe. And if you believe you are right and that you are perfect and that you could never make the same mistake, not only are you sorely mistaken and arrogant, but you will never resolve it. And you will never resolve the conflict because we think the conflict is with this church or that church or I'm not going to go to that church because of the conflict that's going on. No, the conflict is in you. And if we don't start there, 
it'll never get resolved. We have to find a way to walk by the Holy Spirit. For the Holy Spirit to come and be that due north for us so that we begin to behave that way out of the Spirit. And that is the only way, by the way. That is the only way we can one another one another. It is the only way through the Spirit. And here's how Paul says that part of it in the next verse. Next verse is. He says, But the fruit... So when we walk by the Spirit, the fruit, the things that show up because of that are what? Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And do you know why self-control is last? Because you always remember the last thing last. Right? Like, whatever is said last is the thing you remember the most. And so all of these become, for us, evidence of the reconciliation between my flesh and the conflict I have with the Holy Spirit. And when I live that way, in connection with the Holy Spirit, with the Holy Spirit guiding my life, I suddenly produce the fruit of the Spirit, which looks a lot like love one another, rejoice with one another, agree with one another, be patient with one another. Be compassionate and kind to one another. Be good to one another. Hold each other together in unity with one another. Be gentle to one another. And be self-controlled in your dealings with one another. And that is the only way it can be lived out. Because if I try and I give effort and I pray and I just try to gut it out, it's never going to work. It has to start with a reconciliation between the conflict I have with myself and the Holy Spirit. And when I can find peace in that conflict, then I can begin to live out in relationship with my brothers and my sisters a different type of relationship. That's the invitation to us, church. It's the same as it was 2,000 years ago. That's our invitation today, to live in this community of Arnold in a different way than we have ever lived before. I mean, imagine, what if the people around us said, you know, that place, those people, like, they just, like, this really bad thing happened, and I heard about it at the post office, but something different happened. Like, they stuck it out. They worked it through. They still talked to each other, even though that deal fell apart, or that relationship fell apart, or so-and-so said something about them. They forgave them. Like, that doesn't happen. There wasn't a grudge. I can't figure it out. Rather than them looking and saying, well, that looks just like us. Why would we ever go there? Why would I ever go and be part of that group of people? It doesn't seem any different than anything else I've been through. That's the invitation to you and to me today. Would you